Welcome, everybody. Hello. Welcome to Well, This Sucks, our podcast about our lovely friend Danielle's fight against breast cancer. I'm Heather. I'm Tana. I'm Danielle. Yay. And with us today, we have Emily Garnett. She's a blogger of Beyond the Pink Ribbon. It's amazing. She has an incredible story. She's been battling breast cancer as well. Hi, Emily. Hi. Hi. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh my God. Thank you so much for reaching out and like we met through Instagram. <laughs> it's true. As I started yeah. following, yeah. we started following each other and like, it's nice because it feels like, oh my God, it, it works. Yeah. I don't mm-hmm. know. Something positive. positive. Right. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. I yeah. feel like social media has such an incredible power when you're like going through crappy situations to bring people together. Yeah. The community so that nice. you could find. Just connecting people that are it's that you really, wouldn't necessarily connect with yeah. if it wasn't there, which is because of geographical right. it's so reasons. powerful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So where are you located, Emily? So I live in New York. We just moved a, a little, little less than a year ago. We mm. moved out of the city. Um, my husband and my son and myself were living in a one-bedroom apartment and oh finally gosh. bought a house outside of the city. Mm. So now we have a little bit more space and, um, wow. congrats. So we're, we're in New York. Yeah. 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 We have a yard, which is amazing. <gasps> amazing. Yeah. You know? But yeah. it just means we have to do more yard work, <laughs> <laughs> but it's therapeutic, right? My mom always yeah. goes nuts in the yard. Yeah. My yard always looks bad. Like there are some people <laughs> who have those like gorgeously, like perfectly manicured yards. My yard has a bird's nest sitting in the middle of it because Love it fell out of a tree. Kids stuff all over the place and <laughs> things are growing everywhere. And we planted a garden and it's the most poorly managed garden I've ever seen. But you have a garden grow seeds everywhere. <laughs> yes, I love yeah, it. So it's the wild gardening everything style. Everything about my yard is a disaster. So, but uh, if it's growing, it if nice. it's green, I think it's a win. It sounds so. great. It's true. It's true. We get we get so much rain here, which is yeah. weird because I'm originally from Arizona. So mm-hmm. I'm used to not having any rain ever. And then all of a sudden we'll have rain for like three days here. And it totally throws me off, even though <laughs> no. I've lived here for 11 years. Do you, do you miss the desert? It's interesting because like no. we, we come from the humidity. <laughs> yeah, we did the opposite. <laughs> I know. And I miss the rain. Yes. Coming from Florida. So yeah. I'm just curious I, if you're like, rain, get I, out of here. No, I love rain. I love it. Mm. I I love New York. I love New York weather. I hated Arizona weather. I'm not someone that does well in the heat, especially now being in, in menopause. Ah, right. like, I, I can barely go. Outside. I'm literally fanning I'm so myself good. right now as yeah. we're talking. It's true. Oh, me too. I have three fans <laughs> in my office. I have three fans going right now and my cat keeps trying to come and like sit on me. I'm like, (laughs) no, you're too hot. Yeah. Menopause is the worst. We're just talking about hot flashes and how I carry my fan around from Spain that I got like 11 years ago when I was there with me. Um, Cause it's no joke. I just, the heat that comes from my neck and my face, (laughs) like I can't handle it. No, you, you gotta get a chillo. And it's it's a cold pillow. It's like a pillow that you put like cold water and ice in and it's the best thing ever. Yeah, because I I um, sweat a lot when I sleep. 
but I like I'm very stubborn because I have to sleep with my heavy blanket and like the fan going and the AC going and it has to be cold but I yeah I want to look into that that chillo chillo. I feel like I need like a very heavy mesh blanket because I like having the weight yeah like the weight is comforting I can't just sleep with a sheet. I yeah. Know, these people are crazy sleeping with sheets. I don't know no. who they are. But. No, I would lose my mind. Mm-hmm. I would lose my mind. Mm-hmm. But I also have to have like, the air conditioner on full blast. Yes, because you're and sweating. My husband, I think. He's <laughs> the struggle. Cold. Sorry, not sorry. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Sorry, yeah. not sorry. How long have you been married? So we have been married five and a half years. We, mm. We've been together a little over 10 years. We got married in November of 2012. And so I... We had just celebrated our fifth wedding anniversary the week I was diagnosed. So I, mm-hmm. we had our anniversary. My son's birthday was three days after that. And then my diagnosis oh was my three days after that. So that was a big oh week. Yeah. Sorry, this was your fifth five-year anniversary? <laughs> our five-year anniversary, okay. yeah. So how, how old is your um, son? He he's two and a half because wow. he, he had just turned two at the time. Gotcha. So, and we had just moved into this house. So I'm like, really, like, could we have any more major life events? I, I mean, know. hopefully not knock on wood. Yes. But it was it was insane. I felt like I felt like we were in the middle of like this never ending tornado. Wow. Yeah, that's always how it goes. It feels so like when it rains, that- it pours, even if some of it's Getting a house is a wonderful thing, but it's also a huge responsibility and I'm sure very stressful. It was a huge undertaking. And we, moving from a one-bedroom apartment to, we we found, we ended up getting a four-bedroom house because we thought we were going to be able to have more kids. Mm -hmm. But we had no furniture. We had gotten all of our furniture with like old recalled Ikea furniture Mm -hmm. that we got rid of when we moved so we showed up with a bed a crib and a couch oh my gosh and we had no furniture so I went on this like sad person shopping spree at Ikea right after my diagnosis yeah I was like we're gonna get everything retail retail therapy stop me yeah I need this retail therapy was it was the only thing that kept me going Mm -hmm. so this that was six months ago? Seven, yeah. Seven, Seven months ago today. Wow. Today? Uh, that's when yeah. you were diagnosed? Yeah, I, wow. I was first diagnosed. Um, my, my doctor, I went to my primary care doctor in September, so right after we bought the house, because we were trying to get pregnant for a second time. We we're trying to have a second baby. And so I was like, mm-hmm. why don't I just go and get checked out? I'd been feeling kind of crappy. Like I had been having a lot of pain in my back and my hips and just, just, I just felt like shit. Mm-hmm. Can I say that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I felt like shit. And I was like, I don't want to go into a pregnancy feeling this bad. Mm-hmm. I should just go get a physical, make sure there's nothing major going oh my on. Gosh. My primary care doctor found a lump and had me go get it checked out. Mm-hmm. I went and got an ultrasound and the ultrasound tech just goes, yeah, we need to go get a mammogram on this. Get the radiologist, they get a mammogram immediately. Um, obviously, I didn't, I wasn't pregnant at the point. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. But um then they immediately did a biopsy and were like, was like, okay, this is definitely breast cancer. I was in the process of scheduling surgery when I 
went and got a second opinion because I, I just, I wanted to cover my bases. Yep. Mm-hmm. And the, the oncologist at my second opinion was listening to me and was like, Oh, tell me more about all this pain that you've been having. And I described it to her and she sent me for a PET scan, which isn't routine when you're mm-hmm. considered early stage, but the PET scan, um, I, I like to say that it lit up like a Christmas tree because it was right oh after God. Thanksgiving. So it mm. was very festive. Um, and it showed I really extensive metastases to my bones. Yeah. So at that point, I was stage four and surgery was off the table. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, I, I'm sorry to interrupt. I have a question. Um, why yeah. when they buy when they did the biopsy and they confirmed that you had cancer did they biopsy your lymph nodes as well they didn't um they actually did a really crappy job trying to trying to stage my cancer because they said they couldn't palpate any lymph nodes so they were like we're not worried about lymph nodes blah 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 um well then they should have gotten you a scan that's crazy i'm sorry they were like yeah, your lymph nodes are definitely malignant. Like we feel them. Mm-hmm. And so oh they just, yeah, it was really a really poorly mm. managed diagnostic process. I'm sorry about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then you had the yeah, PET scan. I mean, and then I had the PET scan and they were like, no, you're, you're state, you know, I went from stage oh two to stage four and they're like, no oh surgery, gosh. no chemo. That's all off the table. What? They told, they so, didn't want to know, give you chemo. They, so for, for stage four, they don't like to start with chemo because it's so harsh on your body. They want to make sure that it's as long of a game as possible. So they want to try to do the least harsh interventions possible for as long as possible before they start just knocking all the cells out of your system. So I'm on a targeted therapy called Ibrance, which is, it's called a CDK4-6 inhibitor. So it keeps proteins from from growing in the tumor cells. So Mm -hmm. eventually the tumor cells can't multiply and they die and they start decreasing in number. And on my most recent PET scan in April, I had my tumor cells had decreased by like a third. So oh it's gosh, really good. effective. Can and you say all, the, yeah, it's amazing. Sorry, could you say the name of it again? It's called Ibrand. Um, it's the brand name. Uh, the generic is Palbocyclob. I, I didn't lose my hair. It didn't make doesn't make me sick. It's my quality of life has not significantly changed mm-hmm. from pre and post diagnosis in terms of like what sorts of medication I'm taking, which is amazing because on one hand, I'm really, really sick. And on the other hand, I'm not. And yeah. I'm still able to do most of the things that I did before, which is amazing. Like I was really shocked and surprised about that because I was like, well, at first I just thought, okay, I'm just going to wait around until I die. And that's, very much not the case. Yeah. I have a question. So what um, kind of breast cancer is it? Like what's feeding the cancer? What did it get tested for? Is it estrogen fed? Is it HER2 positive? I'm, I'm estrogen. I'm hormone receptor positive. So mm-hmm. it's ER positive and then I'm really weakly progesterone positive. So they, they just treat it like a hormone positive cancer. 
So I'm HER2 negative, and so I don't have to deal with the, the Herceptin or anything mm-hmm. like that, which is good. Yeah, so it sounds like, I mean, we have like fairly similar, pretty much the same. So you're doing that Ibrance? The Ibrance, mm-hmm. and then Letrozole, yeah, and Lupron so that I'm in full menopause, Okay, which is a super duper party. Mm-hmm. Yeah. God. Now, where did your did your cancer spread to? Because like you know um danielle is also stage four Mm -hmm. it's very similar but she did go through chemo um but also right she was supposed to get certain surgery and it was like oh actually no yeah they didn't know that until after the pet scans right Mm -hmm. which is such bullshit because they're like they they give you the runaround and i mean that was my experience i had surgery scheduled and if i hadn't gotten a second opinion they were just Mm. gonna do surgery and chemo and then be like whoops Oh my God. Yeah. Like they didn't, that's what I was shocked about that they didn't even want to get a scan done just to be sure because they were questioning the lymph nodes. That's just sounds, I'm sorry that you had to go through that. That just sounds like a runaround and it's awful. And like you were preparing for surgery and then like all of a sudden you're just like, okay, well that's not something I have to do anymore. And man, that's that's crazy. But yeah, always get a second opinion. (laughs) Yeah. I always get a second opinion. Mm -hmm. So my... I had it was I had the the tumor in my right breast, and then it spread to the lymph nodes. And so my bone mets are in my spine, my ribs, my sternum, and my hip. Mm-hmm. So kind of all over the place. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. But they're, yeah. Is that is that where yours yeah, are yeah. too? Mine um yeah. it actually oh, no, was sorry. in my liver. It presented in the liver and in my pelvis bone, and I think a little bit in my spine. Mm-hmm. Um, but nothing, nothing else beyond that. The spine is rough. Like that's been, that, that's been for me, probably the most challenging thing. I lost so much range of motion in that. Oh my gosh. Because I had, my head, yeah, I I had met on almost every vertebrae. So (laughs) it was like, it was insane. Oh my gosh. It was nuts. But, um. So it was pushing on your nerves? It, it kind of like impinged, it helped to created a space for a disc to kind of move around a little bit uncomfortably, mm-hmm. but it's unclear if that was related to pregnancy or cancer or okay. just right. shitty luck. Yeah. yeah. So mm-hmm. do you have any family history that you were aware of? Like, did your mom have breast cancer? My grandfather on my dad's side had breast cancer three years ago, I guess four years ago Crazy. Now. Whoa. Sorry. Right? Yeah. But I, I did all the genetic testing and it all came back negative. Mm-hmm. Huh. What? So, Whoa. Yeah. But there's his sister and his mother also had breast cancer. Oh, wow. So there's clearly a genetic link that was in play, but we don't necessarily know what that is. Mm-hmm. I has, To me, has always been really interesting. Yeah. Wow. That's, I feel like we're ex- excavating you yeah. know what i mean like finding out everyone's unique right. story yeah. and like trying to kind of see where they where they're similar and where they differ it's it's wild mm-hmm. you feel like a cancer detective because mm-hmm. you're just like you know you, you're trying to get all of the information that you can so that you can piece together this, this history and this picture of who these people are that are living with breast cancer it's yeah. crazy and then you just 
find out that you don't know anything. <laughs> I know nothing. I know nothing. <laughs> yeah, it just makes That's it just true. leads to more questions. That's yeah, true. That's definitely. Life. Yeah. I guess your husband and son were with you. Oh, your your son is so young. Does he understand what what's going on? I don't know how much he understands. I also I try not to shield him from it too much mm-hmm. because in a lot of ways it's part of his story too. It's I mean, it's going to play a huge role in his life for the rest of his life. So I I try to keep it as age appropriate as possible. But also, I mean, he sees me take my medicine every morning. And so I got him a little pill case and put vitamins in it, Aww. like a little gummy vitamin. So, so he can take his medicine, too. Oh, and he, he comes to appointments with me mm. as much as, as appropriate. And so now whenever he sees like women, he's like, mommy, that's a doctor. Mm-hmm. I'm like, well, so that's just a random woman. But he <laughs> kind of has this equation of like women as doctors that's and great. women in these like strong caregiving roles yes. and authority roles, which is really cool. Oh, sweetie. Um, mm-hmm. and, yeah. And, and he's just, I mean, he's been so flexible with all of the just in terms of having to have a lot of people coming in and out of his life, mm-hmm. you know, family members and babysitters, he's mm-hmm. just kind of rolled with it. And it's made him, I think, a lot more empathetic as a kid. So I'm, mm-hmm. I try to, I try not to kind of, kind of shelter him from it in a way that I think he would resent in the future because I want him to, feel like it's something that he can talk about and understand and, you know, be aware of and be in control of to the best of his ability. So I don't, I don't ever really think that I'm, but I'm also kind of that person where I'm like, I don't feel like I need to hide that kind of, you know, that diagnosis from anyone since mm-hmm. I have a blog that has my whole right. health history yeah yeah on the internet (laughs) but i think that's great you know it is there is the stigma of talking about it even though we all know there shouldn't be or yeah and we've been dealing a lot with like people who have been coming on who have had uh family members who have been sick and um their family members choosing not to share it with them or like until it's like you know, not trying to give them all of the news and just trying to shield them, I guess, and protect them, but in a way ends up making you kind of upset with them. And uh, I don't want to say resenting, but it's just like, it's hard to parse through those feelings afterwards. Well, taking the choice away from them. It's really hard too, because I feel like it's, yes, it's a personal story, but it's not just a part of one person's narrative. It's a part of anyone that's affected with it narrative. And when you look at the statistics of who's living with breast cancer, if you're talking about one in eight women in their, in our lifetime, you know, that's, that's everyone, that's everyone's family, that's Mm -hmm. people's friends, people's mothers, sisters, daughters, husband, wife, you know, aunts, Uncle, you know, you're not looking at a rare disease from a distance. You're looking at a disease that's going to impact every single person in one way or another. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's, I think it's really important to take away its power by talking about it mm-hmm. and 
understanding it as a part of our lives. Definitely. I I was listening to this podcast on Radio Lab and they were speaking about kind of the history of breaking bad news uh and they yeah. they spoke about cancer and how in the 50s they didn't even they didn't even use the word cancer because it was so scary and they didn't want patients to be affected by that word and to be affected by their own diagnosis but and that's the same case where you're you're not giving them the power of their own choice of being able to right. understand their diagnosis where they would just refer instead of using cancer, they would refer to it as an ulcer or like just a, 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 something that's not as serious as cancer because they were afraid. They actually, if they did give them that diagnosis and they saw some sort of emotional impact on that person, they would give them a lobotomy. And that's it wasn't until the, the 1960s when they started talking about cancer because now that they had treatments in place, that's when uh, chemo and radiation came about were in the 60s. So it wasn't until right. then, I feel like then they started, they started talking about it. And even now, you know, as we're saying, like, destigmatizing it and be bringing it to the surface is when we can grow. So the 60s, when they had chemo, radiation and palliative care. Yeah, you hospice, don't really hear about that's really when it was cancer before. Yeah, like. If you think about it, like in in the olden days, like cancer wasn't a, a no, thing. it was it wasn't. A, I mean, it was a thing. Yeah. But yeah, you're right. No one talked about it. Right. But even now, mm -hmm. even in like support group settings, people have a hard time saying the word cancer. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I'm like, I, I love Harry Potter and I feel like it's like a Voldemort kind of word. Mm -hmm. It is. <laughs> And, and, and I, I'm like, don't give it that kind of power. Like, say the word. Like, exactly. when people are talking about to me, they're like, so how's your, like, we, we create so many euphemisms for it, be, for, for cancer, because we're afraid to say the word cancer. And, and so it, it just, it becomes this very scary thing, not even, it always as an intentional act, but because we are, as a society really afraid of dealing with and managing with all of the associations that come with it. Right. Yeah, it's and true. It, and I'm guilty of it myself, even like saying oh, the too. word cancer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, cause I've, I always say, well, my diagnosis and I'm like, mm -hmm. what diagnosis? Like, don't, you know, it, it's still, you, I do that all the time and I have to catch myself cause I'm like, I'm couching it in the language that I'm trying to work against and yeah. it, it, right. it, yeah, it drives I know. me crazy <laughs> I always find myself saying oh la like when I was in treatment last year I'm always be like oh when I was sick yeah. last year yeah <laughs> I'm like I don't want to say right. when I was in chemo right. no same, you know. same, yeah we want to normalize it right that's I guess kinda, that's, uh, that's the line that that I'm trying to figure out yeah like take away its scary power mm -hmm. and just be like yes it's it's okay I don't know. And that, I mean, bringing up this podcast that I was listening to um, just got me thinking about uh, normalizing the word because it is it is common. Most of us know someone who is affected by cancer mm -hmm. and multiple people. And I think right. and with you and getting a second opinion, it's it's giving us the knowledge of like I could be diagnosed later down the line. I don't know. You know, we don't know. And if it does happen to us, we want to have and that's kind of 
like where I view this podcast, like gaining the amount of knowledge, talking to other survivors, other people affected by cancer, and just kind of gathering as much information as you can, because then you can make an educated decision if you're affected by it, but also like on a grander scale, I think if we talk about it and just like in the sixties, when they did develop chemo radiation, they start talking about it more, giving more light to that subject and then having people becoming more involved and finding other treatments with that better to let you know that you have options and you just don't have to do what your first doctor tells you. Exactly. And beyond, um, chemo, and uh, whatever the other treatments, but finding a therapist or finding other things that people may need. Yeah. Right, right. I mean, I, I'm on the on I'm on a thread right now that is kind of going into how to find like a medical marijuana card in New York mm-hmm. State, and it's so wow. fascinating because I'm I'm someone like who's a really good thorough researcher and I had never really heard of a lot of the resources that this thread is is talking about and it's fascinating how much each person's experience brings to the table not just through personal narrative but also through their research and their needs and their understanding and so I'm like I I love I love it when women and people with cancer get together and talk about it because I'm like, there's so much strength that's, that's gained in these conversations. It's so powerful. Yeah. So much to share exchange notes. So much. Yeah. And that's what I assume you starting your blog was helping you understand all this information too, but then also wanting to provide a resource for other women. Yes. Yeah. That, that was, that's exactly it. I wanted to have I wanted to have my experience documented as close to real time as possible. So I didn't, I wanted to be able to look back and look at it and go, wow, things sucked so much more then, or, okay, yeah, I, uh, you know, I'm still in the trenches that were, that was, you know, that was an, a really interesting experience. And now I can remember it in that light instead of looking back on it and saying, ah, it wasn't that bad. And mm-hmm. Looking at the mm-hmm. entries and being like, oh, yeah, it was that bad. Like, yeah, that's a good point. Um, yeah, that's a good point. Whew. There's like I, uh, so much to unpack because, but another fascinating thing is similar to Danielle, like you're very young as well, right? I read on your yeah. blog, you're 31. Yeah. You're, we're all the same age, 30, basically. I- yeah, I I was 32 when I was diagnosed. I just turned 33 in March. So okay. I'm, yeah, I mean, and it's it's really, it's not uncommon to hear about p- women and people over, like between 35 and 40, 35 and 45 with breast cancer, but under 35 is really uncommon. Like you don't meet a lot of women who are that young and it's, it's really hard yeah. because you're, you're going through the worst, the worst thing you can imagine while everyone else is getting married and having babies mm. and, and you're like, I'm in hell. Mm. Why me? Yeah. And it sucks. It sucks so much, mm-hmm. but it's, there's no, but it just sucks. I guess, how did you break the news to your family or, you know, I don't know if your parents are still around um, or if you have any siblings or even if you had to like break the news to your husband or what? 
I mean, he, he was there in the room when I got the original diagnosis. He was there with the radiologist. And so he was just shocked. And then when we got the Mets diagnosis, my oncologist called me the day I got the PET scan. She called us that evening and she was on speakerphone and mm. you just like broke down. Mm. Um, but that phone call to my parents was the worst phone call I've ever had to make. Mm. My parents just lost it. I mean, oh as, as they should, like, mm. um, it was awful. It was just brutal. And I would never, that was like the single worst moment of my life. Not that necessarily the diagnosis, mm -hmm. but like having to tell my parents, like, I felt like I was, I felt so guilty about it, even though I hadn't done anything wrong. Like I felt like I had betrayed them and I was, just, I, it was just, it was such a horrible horrible conversation because I was just like I'm giving you like some of the worst news you're ever going to hear mm -hmm. I know so I can imagine was... are your parents still together yeah yeah mm -hmm. they live in they're still in Arizona and so they they flew out for Christmas and my mom stayed with us for six weeks mm -hmm. as I was kind of getting my footing getting started with treatment going back and forth to appointments and sleeping like 15 hours a day. Yeah. I was just, I was so depressed when probably the first two months I had a really hard time getting out of bed and just cried constantly. Mm -hmm. I was, I was, I was an appropriate mess. Yeah. With but good reason. I, yeah, I, I was, I was not like more of a mess than I think anyone else would be. I was, but I was, it was, I was still a mess. It was still very, very hard. Of course. So it was, um, yeah. I, I, and I finally got hooked up with a really good psychiatrist who put me on some wonderful antidepressants mm -hmm. and some anti-anxiety drugs because, I mean, as you know, like otherwise you just fall into a black hole and there's no pulling yourself out of it. And um, yeah, luckily I and was already so on antidepressant and anxiety medicine, so I didn't like that kind yeah. of numbed my reactions and falling I mean, I, into said yeah. hole. Yeah. Yeah. Otherwise, there's no way I would have been able to manage any of it. I would just, I, I was so depressed. I was, I was like just impossibly depressed. Mm -hmm. And then. I slowly pulled myself out of it and started, you know, and, and I think once I was on treatment and I was like, okay, this isn't so bad. I still feel like myself. I'm not, mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I'm not really suffering physically. So, um, and, and also my pain started going away. My bone pain started slowly decreasing. Mm -hmm. So that made a big difference. Yeah. I was able to function a little bit more. That's good. Um, yeah. So, yeah. It was such an interesting discovery Very. about the antidepressants. Like that, that was just something I never even considered, you know, and it was something that right. we kind of talked about before when Danielle was first diagnosed and, and Danielle, you were talking well, about how like your antidepressants were so helpful, yeah. are so helpful still. Yeah. Yeah. So helpful. And Effexor apparently is also really good for hot flashes, which was... Mm a nice added bonus. Wow. Yeah. Good to know. 
Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Time to sweat. I don't know. <laughs> Danielle, what what do you want? I mean, you don't have uh, to not, take. Uh, it's called citalopram. It's a generic version of Celexa. Cool. Mm-hmm. I've been on it for years. Mm-hmm. All right. <laughs> tight. Tight, tight, tight. <laughs> if it ain't broke, don't yeah. fix it. That's true. <laughs> it's a delicate balance. Yeah. So I've heard. Right. It's, I mean, finding a good antidepressant is like finding a good boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> so were you on antidepressants before or no? This is your first time. I was not. I was not. But I was on it. I was on, I, I got onto them very quickly after I was diagnosed Okay. Did you... because I was so depressed. I was so just devastated and yeah. non-functional. Yeah. And it's understandable with something so major. Um, but did you ever it... find yourself struggling with depression, anxiety before? I did. I mean, I had, I think I had some pretty severe undiagnosed postpartum depression and anxiety issues, but I was breastfeeding and, and I couldn't really take anything. And mm-hmm. I also just was not in the frame of mind or in a place where I could even seek out much treatment. So mm-hmm. it was, it was kind of a moot point, but um, before I got pregnant, I was on a couple of antidepressants just as I was going through law school and mm-hmm. all that stuff. And um went off of them cold turkey when we Whoa. started trying to have a baby, which I do not recommend yeah, because I was that was say, pretty I'm brutal. Sure you learned a lesson in that one. I've d- tried to do that too. So yeah, yeah. I would not recommend doing that. Like learn, learn from my mistake. <laughs> <laughs> do not do it. <laughs> I've heard of that before. I have another friend who got pregnant and quit her meds cold turkey. And she was like, don't ever do that. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Oh yeah, no, pretty terrible. But I got my son out of it, so I'm like, okay, we'll take that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Charlie, my cat just coming up to say hi. Oh, hello. Hi. Is his name Charlie? His name is Charlie. Yeah. Hi, Charlie. Hi, Charlie. Oh my god. He's my little my little snuggle buddy. Oh. So, Wait, where, what's your son's I name? Totally, no, his his name is Felix. Felix <gasps> and, cute. Um, like the cat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like Felix the cat, exactly. Oh my yeah. gosh, I love the name we, Felix. Yeah. Love it. I love I, that I thank name. Thank you. I, I <laughs> There's like, why didn't I think of that? He's such a Felix too. Oh, um, cute. I mean, he's he's basically part cat. We've always joked that he's like so much like like I've never met someone from such an early age that has kind of such a sense of themselves. Mm. Like even from from I think from the day he was born. He just had this very much this sense of being much older than he was. And mm-hmm. I, I like, it's so crazy watching him grow up. And I think that that's influenced a lot of how I talk to him about mm-hmm. my cancer, because I've always, I've always seen him as being much older than he is. And sometimes I have to stop and remind myself, like, you know, you know, Emily, like he's, he is only two. <laughs> oh, <laughs> he's, not, gosh, wow. he's not a just a tiny adult. Like yeah. He's, a he's, hey, he's an old so. soul. <laughs> old soul. He is. He is. And he's always been an old soul. He always <laughs> has been, he, you know, he's been that, that kid where you meet them and you're like, wow, they just want to be 35 and, <laughs> you know, settled into their job and <laughs> able to buy a home. And understand like, when is this coming? Like, 
you know, he just, he hated when he was a baby, he hated being little. It drove him crazy. He was so unhappy just not being able to move around on his own (laughs) and talk and drive a car. he, He was one of those kids that you could just tell, like just out of sheer Will was like, I am just going to start moving. Like he, <laughs> he started sitting up. And then as soon as he could sit up on his own, he started crawling like at five months. Wow. And then within a week after crawling, he was pulling himself up Whoa. on furniture standing. And he was not even six months old. Oh my gosh. And it was insane. Mover and then shaker. by eight and a half months, he was taking steps. Wow. It was oh my it gosh. crazy. Well, he's, you know, know, he's got things to say. Yeah. He's got, he's like, he's got to write his novel. (laughs) Yeah. No, he's like, he, he's such a, he's a two-year-old in body only because I feel like in in his mind, he's like actually, you know, a middle-aged man (laughs) or a cat. Or a cat. cat. Both. Uh, (laughs) Middle-aged cat. Great name. Middle-aged cat. I love it. Uh, Felix and Charlie. I love them. I hope we get to meet him in September when we're in New York. Oh my God. Hopefully I we do can get too. together. He's, yeah. Yes, absolutely. We'll make it happen. We're going to make it we'll happen. We'll make it happen. Um, oh my God. I'm, I'm really excited. <laughs> <laughs> I read on your blog, you're very open about how you feel like you, you're not going to be able to have another kid. Um, right. It's hard for us to talk about you know how yeah have the doctors just straight up told you that you can't have another baby or they would say like it's in your best interest or how's it like been recommended to you or so my oncologist told us point blank that I would never have another baby she was like it would kill you Mm -hmm. yeah because I'm so strongly estrogen positive it would it would just cause everything to the cancer would just go crazy. Mm -hmm. And we opted not to um, freeze any eggs Mm -hmm. because there was just such an issue of timing Mm -hmm. during the, the fertility preservation process. And it wasn't covered by our insurance. So it was Mm -hmm. going to be about 10 to $12,000 for us to do all of the fertility testing and egg preservation while I'm trying to navigate this METS diagnosis and it was just, I was like, I, this is one thing I just can't deal with. Mm-hmm. Plus I'm never going to get to carry this baby myself anyway. Like mm-hmm. I, we would still have to think about looking for a surrogate, which was right. just, you know, while I had this, this stage four diagnosis, so I was like, I don't have the bandwidth to even think about this. And I just didn't feel comfortable going through all of that and freezing a bunch of eggs or embryos, knowing that there was a good chance that I probably wouldn't use them. Mm-hmm. And um, for a number of reasons, financially and just looking at my health and knowing how hard it was the first couple of years with a little kid, with a baby, I was like, I can't take that stress on and you know, still take care of myself. Mm-hmm. So it was, um, you know, we have Felix and he's amazing. And in a lot of ways, 
it feels like he is enough, like he completes our family. Yeah. And so we just said, look, you know, we're not we're we're not going to pursue because it doesn't feel like it's the right decision. And it felt like there were so many complicating factors that it would just be significant uphill battle. Mm-hmm. And um, adoption with stage four is really mostly out of the question anyway, because adoption agencies, I called around to a few and they were like, okay, so we want to see you cancer free for like five years or something. I'm like, well, wow. okay, no, I, I can't guarantee that. So it was, it, it seemed pretty quickly that that wasn't going to be an option. But um, I, I've heard that there are a lot of agencies that will allow, you know, relatively healthy women with metastatic disease to foster and then go into a foster to adopt program. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's there are options, but for us, it none of those options felt like it was going to be compatible with our life, and um, and and we were just so sad. I loved being pregnant. I loved, you know, feeling my son kick. And I mean, he was like one of he was a crazy person from like in, even inside the womb. He was <laughs> a crazy person. It's so devastating, but at the same time, I feel I I feel both sad and at peace with with our decision and with with where we are with it like there are a lot of benefits to only having one kid like you know now that he's two like we're only flying with one kid I can pack him up and take him places and it's pretty easy (laughs) portable considered (laughs) yeah yeah and it's you know there are two parents and one kid which means that if one parent's watching the kid the other parent can be doing something else or sleeping in my case. <laughs> and uh, yeah. And I can like tap out of parenting for a Saturday and it's okay because, you know, there's only one of him. So it's, yeah. there are a lot of benefits that we're, we're discovering. And, and he's just such a joy. Like he's such an intense, wonderful kid that I, I have a hard time picturing any other kid in our family. So I feel like, I feel like it's one of those situations where I, I can't say, yes, I'm really happy with the decision, but I'm also like accepting of it. Like I'm, Mm -hmm. I'm both happy. I'm, I'm both sad and satisfied. Right. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure that was a process to kind of like arrive at the acceptance. I'm assuming it, it's a continuous process of like being uh, at peace with it. How do you, what steps do you take if you know even uh, to kind of like arrive at that acceptance and peace? Yeah, it, it absolutely makes sense. And how do you cope? I, I don't know. I, you just I'm do. still coping. I think I, I, I think that I, one of the perks of having a two-year-old is that you don't have a lot of time to sit around and be wistful because they never stop moving. So it's, you know, there's, there's a lot of, and they're very intense. They're very emotionally intense. They've got a lot to say. They're very physically intense. So, you know, there, there are a lot of times when I'm just like, oh, okay, I'm glad that I have a kid that's walking and talking and 
you know, can kind of take care of himself in some ways. Like we can sit and have a conversation over breakfast instead of having to get up 50 times with the baby. Right, <laughs> and, right, right. You know, I, and Felix I is I just, just like, hmm, myself. I think we should buy Amazon today. <laughs> Stock in right, Amazon. Right, right. <laughs> and like, I, yeah, like, you know, let's, let's pack up and go out for ice cream. And, <laughs> and then I can get him his own ice cream cone, which, Little kids eating ice cream cones is like the cutest thing ever. <laughs> like, they're just hilarious. So, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. I don't. I don't really know how I cope because I'm like I still get really sad about it because everyone our age is like having babies and they're all really cute. And a lot of times on social media, all you see are like the cute little chubby cheeked newborns, mm. and you don't you don't really remember like, okay, yeah, that baby's probably like blown out 15 diapers today. <laughs> and that woman had to birth that baby. Yeah. And that sucks. And, um, you know, like you just see these really cute little babies and smiling, smiling families and everyone's saying, I'm so lucky. I'm the luckiest woman in the world. I'm the luckiest right. woman to be the mom i'm like shut up <laughs> stop shut up you know there are times you hate it i know i know mm-hmm. i'm like why you know why don't you show a picture of yourself brawless in target where your kid's throwing his shoes because that's my life right now <laughs> yes. get Reality. on them call them out yes. call them out yes yes where are mm-hmm. your target pictures mm-hmm. where your kid is only wearing a diaper and yeah. <laughs> throwing <laughs> like, a tantrum throwing be, a tantrum be a and human being just 15 cartons of play-doh and cheese it and <laughs> whatever their target up and up brand chocolate like yeah. that's, that's my monday <laughs> that's real no that's the real talk yeah the raw stuff that's 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 real life right there that's real parenting yeah brawless in target (laughs) with a screaming kid who may or may not be clothed wow (laughs) yeah fair enough and how's your husband how's he how's he doing through all um he's struggling he's really Mm -hmm. struggling i think because we're kind of at the point kind of around six months we hit this point where it wasn't acute anymore uh it was we were realizing how much this was our new normal and all of that surge of support and interest kind of faded away Mm -hmm. and we're just kind of stuck there holding our you know holding our bags being Mm -hmm. like okay you know this is our new life but, um, you know, everyone else has moved on with their life, mm-hmm. posting cute baby pictures on mm-hmm. Instagram while mm-hmm. we're here sitting, you know, crying in our dinner because this is so scary. And mm-hmm. it also coincided with a really awful scare that we had. I had been having some really bad headaches mm-hmm. and we were afraid that I had developed mm-hmm. brain mess. Oh and so gosh. we were kind of going back and forth with the oncologist about, okay, do we need to do an MRI? Do we not? I don't really have any other symptoms, but like, this isn't really something we should play with. Should we wait and see? 
And eventually we did the brain MRI and it was clear and I mm. don't have brain nets and that's wonderful. Yay. But going through that kind of in isolation mm-hmm. really struck home to both of us how much this is our the rest of our life now. Like this is, you know, this is our, our new normal. Mm. And it's hard to, you know, it's hard to kind of put into words how difficult that is and I think he he really it really hit him more so than me because he was so he had so little control yeah Yeah. it just feels like you're constantly living in some sort of fear and anxiety yeah you're you're constantly living in limbo Mm -hmm. and 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 you're also really tired like you're emotionally really tired you're physically tired so even like it always drives me crazy when people are like, just, you know, do the things that you want to do because there's no time like the present. I'm mm-hmm. like, like I'm tired no for, <laughs> well, for a nap. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. let me take a nap. I am very tired. And then we will talk about all of those life things that you think I should be doing. Mm-hmm. Like, I, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I need a lot more naps. <laughs> yeah. More naps. Preach, 2018. Girl. More naps. More naps. The doctor prescribes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a question. So you said that you were experiencing headaches. And so you were, yeah, obviously you all were a bit scared that it had spread to your brain. How did you put off going to the doctor, you know, because you were scared and afraid of receiving more bad news? Yes and no. I mentioned I'm I'm pretty forthright with my oncologist because if I don't mention it to them, to, to my my oncology team, which is my oncologist and nurse practitioner, and mm-hmm. they work together. Um, if I I feel like if I don't mention it to them, I just stew about it. But if I mention it to them, they are pretty good about triaging issues. Mm-hmm. So if they're not worried, I'm not worried, and they I. I trust them quite a bit. So, mm-hmm. um, and, and they were like, we're not worried, but we're not, not worried. And, and then they kind of put the ball back in my court. They're like, well, do you want a brain MRI? And I'm like, well, no, but I also didn't want to sit there and wonder if I should have gotten one. And, but I was like, I also don't think that this necessarily is progression. I, I just, I don't know. Uh, so I, I eventually decided, yes, we should go forward with the MRI just because, you know, it's better mm-hmm. to have that information than to not. And and so we did. And, and I'm really glad that we did. But we kind of we kind of went back and forth about it for like two or three weeks because they had originally said, look, we don't have enough enough symptoms to even get it authorized by insurance let's see if they continue and um and then i was having some weird issues with vision that we don't really know the headaches i think could be very much just like tension headaches Mm -hmm. and dehydration because it coincided with the weather getting really warm and um and also uh just stress and i may have needed a new glasses prescription Mm-hmm. So um we were just talking about how yeah, we all so gotta go get new glasses. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we were I know we I needed glass. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I'm like that old now. So we didn't really have a good concrete reason for the headaches, but we also are like, well, we know that it's not physiological mm-hmm. in my brain. Yeah. So that's and you need that off. peace of mind. Yeah. Did that help afterwards? Yeah. You... 
You really do. Do you feel like you really you're experiencing less headaches now that you know it isn't? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a lot less stressed because I was like, I just immediately went to the place where like, I, am I going to die? Like, do I need to start getting my affairs in order? Oh my God. And I just spent all this time putting together like my will and my power of attorney wow. and all, you know, all of my lawyer stuff and writing letters to my family and my son and my husband. And I'm oh like, gosh. God, Damn. <laughs> that's Ugh. like not fun. No. Yeah. And you are an attorney or are you yes. still practicing? I know this from yes. your blog. Mm-hmm. feel like a mm-hmm. stalker. <laughs> I, I am, I am still licensed, but I haven't, I left my, my practice when Felix was born. So I could okay. stay home with him. Aww. So I'm, my background is in elder law which mm-hmm. is wills, trust, estates, mm-hmm. and oh, wow. my Whoa. focus was, yeah, adult guardianships and public benefits, like Medicaid benefits hmm. and um, Social Security and that kind of stuff, Medicare, which is really interesting because when you're dealing with guardianships, you basically are getting pulled in. In New York, a, an adult guardianship is when you get pulled in after someone's been adjudicated incapacitated. Mm-hmm. So they can't handle their finances. They they can't handle their personal needs issues. They can't handle their medical issues. And there are almost always significant medical issues. And so I had been doing all of this work. And then when I got diagnosed with breast cancer, I was like, well, all of these skills translate so well mm-hmm. into organizing my needs for my diagnosis, organizing the insurance stuff, fighting with the insurance, organizing the finances, organizing Mm -hmm. the medical information, understanding the medical information. My background is in public health and case management. So I, yeah. So it was like all of these things kind of converged into one Mm. piece where I was like, if I don't use these skills, yeah. It is a waste. It is an absolute waste. So that was part of the reason why I put the blog together was because I wanted to create, start creating a platform where I could disseminate this information in a way that's helpful. And yeah. I, um, I, I, I want to continue doing that and using that as an advocacy platform. And I still have yet to really kind of do that more, more than just, you know, be like, Oh, well, you know, I can't have kids and breast cancer sucks. Yeah. But it sounds, <laughs> it sounds kind of like a, a sort of a blessing because it gives you a, some sort of feeling of power over it. Like it's not, you're not completely helpless. Absolutely. To it. Mm-hmm. And it, and it is like, it's absolutely a blessing in that way. Like, mm-hmm. and it, and it sounds kind of weird to say, but it's um, without all of those experiences and that information, I would be, lost and that would suck so much more mm-hmm. so I, I you know I, I feel really fortunate to be able to manage it in that way and it feels like I do have it does empower me a little bit yeah mm-hmm. yeah wow <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah you're gonna you want to share it and starting the blog with with all of your knowledge yeah and your blog is great I mean you, you do a wonderful job of articulating your experience I read it I understand oh. what you're saying I'm like, oh my God, Danielle, read this. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, it's, um, I mean, for, for anyone who hasn't read it, you should all go read it. It's emilyrgarnett.com. And that's kind of my 
where you can find out anything that you want about my diagnosis or ask me questions about what's going on. I'm really, I, I like, I try to be, I welcome people reaching out to me and just, you know, no question is too dumb Mm -hmm. because I really, I really want people to engage in dialogue about this. this It's so important. And I love the title of your blog as well. Beyond the pink ribbon. Mm -hmm. Very lovely. I, a lot of times I get to the blog just by Googling beyond the pink ribbon and then I find it that way. It's very easy. Um, is that also your Instagram handle? My Instagram, yes. It's um, Beyond the Pink Ribbon on Instagram. I have, and then I, there's a Facebook page for it that I tend to post articles and stuff. That's Beyond the Pink Ribbon blog. Mm. And I, I technically have a Twitter handle. It's e, at EMR Garnett. Okay. But I'm never on Twitter. <laughs> um, and my email address is Beyond the Pink Ribbon at gmail.com. It's oh, great. My, my oh, public simple, easy, <laughs> perfect, perfect. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let's all get in touch. Get in touch, everybody. Ah, oh, yes. I'm just like, what else haven't we unpacked? There's so much. So much. Uh, I know, I know. Come to LA. Yeah, <laughs> but make a okay. visit. Come back on the okay. show, please. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, please do. Any final thoughts before we part our, part ways? To definitely do a part two of this episode. Oh, yeah. for sure. <laughs> yeah. I do have another quick question. I guess it's how do you how do you feel like this diag- how your cancer has affected your relationship with your body, if at all? Or you know, do you feel like resentful, like f you boobs, or I you know, or it's like been the opposite. And I was really surprised about this because I thought that I was just going to really like tear myself apart. Yeah. But no, I, I really, for the first time felt like, okay, I'm like kind of, you know, it's part of me. The, the cancer is a part of me, you know, love it or hate it. Like, so I have, you know, let's work together. Let's, mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> you're feeding off of me. I'm feeding off of me. Like, yeah. <laughs> something out (laughs) and um and I was I was a swimmer in high school and college and had kind of been an an athlete to some degree not a good one but like (laughs) passable athlete um to some degree for most of my you know teenage and adult years so I um I I've always kind of felt like I could kind of just push my body to do whatever I wanted. And all of a sudden I couldn't. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so it's been bringing myself back to this place where I can work with my body again. And um, yeah. so it's, it's been, it's been kind of like coming to peace with a lot of the struggles and challenges that I had with body image and with understanding kind of my, my postpartum body. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah. and so I, I think in a lot of ways it's helped me appreciate my body image or appreciate mm. my body and, and kind of soften my body image. Because also when you tell someone that you have metastatic breast cancer, they give you so many passes for so many things. Like <laughs> I gained probably 25 pounds when I went into menopause because it was right around the holidays and I was eating tons of cookies because the holidays and mm-hmm. I was stressed yeah. and and then I was also on a course of steroids this spring because I was having recurrent chest infections. Oh, and that wow. didn't help either. But yeah, 
But at the same time, I'm like, you know what? Like, so what? I have cancer. Like, are you really going to, you know, judge me for, you know, being overweight? Like, no, mm-hmm. for you. Like, my body's my body, and I'm doing everything I can to take care of it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. like, <laughs> yeah. that's good. It's, it's that's a healthy, a empowering yeah. thing. Empowering, yeah. Yeah, hell yeah, man. Girl. Hell I mean, yeah. Girl. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, man. Yeah, we're all like with our fists. <laughs> At least I am. Yeah. <laughs> I like to yeah. I'm like, okay, we're all doing yeah, it. Pump right. your fist in the air. We're pumping our fists hell in the air. Yeah. Woman. Woman. Oh. Yes. Yes. <laughs> well, gosh. I am too. Thank you so much for coming on and for sharing. Okay, we got to have you back. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. And build off of all that we know now. Mm-hmm. Yes. Because I'm like, yeah. what? Chest are going to check in. Like, what? There's so much more. I yeah. Know. Uh, to check in and also just see how well, everything's going. Yeah, how your treatment. Mm-hmm. Well, absolutely. I'm hoping to, to launch Beyond the Pink Ribbon, the podcast. Hell yeah. So, great. Very cool. Well, stay tuned. Yeah, that's exciting too. That, well, that sounds great. Thank you for all that you're doing and for yeah. being proactive and sharing your story. And like, not even just on our podcast, but for doing the blog and... Well, thank, thank you so much for having me. This is, it's been so much fun. And I feel like I know you guys, like, I feel like I've known you guys for a long time. And then we've just been talking for like a little bit. And yeah. So I know. I'm, I'm like, we'll miss you. Yeah. We'll miss you. See you we'll in, talk in touch for talk sure. Talk to you soon. Yeah. Okay, we'll get it. <laughs> Well, thank you so much, Emily. I know. Give Felix and Charlie big hugs and kisses. Yes. And what? And, and well, yeah, yeah. The whole family. (laughs) The whole fam. The whole fam. The whole family. My husband and son are in the backyard drinking cocktails right now. I'm pretty sure that he thinks Felix how to shake a cocktail. (laughs) He's out there with a tiny cocktail shaker. And I feel like I should go intervene. Well, again, it's beyond the pink ribbon. Go to the blog, check her out. Anything of importance is beyond the pink ribbon, but the URL is Mm emilyrgarnett.com because beyond the pink ribbon was already taken. So Mm -hmm. move to that. But um, (laughs) whatever, it's it's easy because it's it's Emily R. Garnett with Mm -hmm. two T's. Beautiful. Wonderful. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you, you, Emily. Enjoy your Saturday. Thank you for having me. Yes. Go have some, um, go shake some shakers and <laughs> yeah, cool. stay cool. <laughs> I don't know how hot I'm it is over go. there now. <laughs> All right. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye Thank you so much. Bye. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. Special thanks to our lovely Lauren Naylor for her amazing portraiture skills and creating our cover art, to our sweet boy Tom Odo for our lovely music, and a great many thanks to my you caring supporters and donors, Sean McClellan, Thomas Cross, and Nina Barodo. You can follow my blog at wellthissucks.me, follow us on Instagram at WTS Podcast, Facebook at WTS The Podcast, and if you like what you heard, please, please, please subscribe, rate, and review. Yeah, thanks. Love you.